Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtic Stuff Live. The only toll-free call-in webcast. Produced specifically for Celtics fans. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. We've got a special guest for you today, draft guru Kevin O'Connor. And, you know, he's risen the draft coverage boards the same way Marquise Chris jumped right up the Draft <laughs> Express board. No, really, though, he has done an amazing job. And the draft guide, I bought this year's. I have, I'll admit I have not bought it in the past. I did buy it this year. And the format is so easy to use. And I know we talked about Jalen Brown's shot chart in the past, and I'm sure we'll get to that with Kevin O'Connor as well in the interview today. But we're just a few days away from the draft, and, and I'm pretty pumped, John, because I don't think since 2007 have the Celtics had a draft night that could really alter their destiny in the coming years like this year. Yeah, no, this is this is, this is is a, a tone setter uh, for the team. You know, and, and it's funny because I remember going back, if we want to go way back, Going back to the 2001 draft, and that was the year, of course, you had three picks, you had 10, 11, and I think 19, and you walked out of it with Kedrick Brown, Joe Johnson, and, and Joe Forte. And if you stick, take a step back here, 15-year look back, right, if you walked out of that draft and Joe Johnson had stayed here, had been successful, that would have been a, a great draft. But, you know, now we're 15 years later. They trade Joe Johnson before his rookie year ends. Obviously, we know Kedrick Brown being stuck in the corner and, you know, (laughs) not really developing. Joe Forte, say no more. You know, it really comes off as as a a negative thing. But so the draft, right, I was left kind of meh about that draft. And if if you had told me you got a multi-time all-star out of any of these picks, you should feel good about that. So, you know, I'm looking, I'm kind of trying to recalibrate myself before we get to the draft. Um, I'm very excited. I'm pumped. I can't wait. But it's also like, okay, let's take a step back too and think about what we're actually going to, what our expectations are. And just because it's the third pick shouldn't mean it's, you know, has a chance to be the generational all-star. But you know, maybe what we could get out of this is is someone who's pretty solid, someone who can help us win now or maybe win later um, and, and help to, uh, you know, lead the team during its its next 
uh, its next draft. So I'm pretty ex- and, and not draft in the way of uh, <laughs> the NBA draft, but more in the way of um, in terms of its next iteration. So uh, I'm, I'm pumped up. I, but we could be talking a trade. That's an interesting. That's a really interesting way to to tie that together. The NBA draft and the next draft of the Boston Celtics. I like the way I like the way you tied that together. And speaking of recalibrating and taking a look back, um, I do want to let everybody know a couple of things that are going on this week. Number one, we're going to do our draft night show again. Right now, we're scheduled seven to eleven p.m. We have given ourselves a little bit of a cushion in case the fireworks are popping off like they did in 2007, and that's really the other conversation uh, or the other announcement we have. I have dug through, and everybody who has been listening to Celtic Stuff Live, and I know we have a lot of new listeners as well, but anybody who has followed Celtic Stuff Live since it, uh, its incarnation in January of 2006, so yeah, we're talking over 10 years ago, we became the first uh, podcast covering specifically the Boston Celtics and really meeting a need. But that draft night, it was scheduled to go six hours. It went seven hours thanks to Mike Gorman coming on at the very last minutes as we were actually getting ready to wrap. We were giving final thoughts. Gorman reached out, said he wanted to join us. I've taken seven hours of that uh, audio and condensed it into a three-part series. So this is coming out on Monday. Part one will be Tuesday. Part two will be Wednesday. Part three will be Thursday. And just to kind of give you a little bit of a teaser, part one is everything leading up to the draft. Part two is all the analysis, talking about the trades and listening to how the trade is emerging and all of our uh, traditional media guests. And then part three will be all of the new media, all the bloggers. Uh, John from Red's Army joins us. Um, Tenacious T, who is Thomas Halzik, if you follow him on Twitter. A number of the newer media bloggers will kick off part three. And then we'll have the Mike Gorman late night after Zero Dark Thirty, like we talked about on the last show, in its entirety, the interview with Mike Gorman. And I will tell you, in listening to that Uh, audio and listening to that show, it's really interesting. We are really coming in. I know the next few days we're going to really be hitting Rumor Central hard. And listening to that show, it's really interesting to hear all of the trade discussions, the rumors, and how much of it actually came to fruition. The where there's smoke, there's usually fire is really not ever been truer. It was really, really interesting. And also, some of those late second-round picks, some interesting comments on Tiago Splitter and Marcus also. All that's going to be in there. And as we lead up to the draft, just want to remind everybody to follow us on Twitter, at CSL underscore Justin, that's me, and the Duke, at CSL underscore Duke. You can follow all of CLNS Radio, at CLNS Radio. Make sure to check us out on Facebook, facebook.com backslash CLNS fans. Download the app on your iOS or Android. Just go to the marketplace and search CLNS radio. And then finally, I want to tout one other. Uh, I know draft night. This Again, this is a really big draft night, but we are going to have the Garden Report. They're going to be at the Garden. It's going to be Jimmy Toscano and Jared Weiss who are going to just do another killer job, interviews, etc. So make sure that you find us on the YouTube channel as well, youtube.com backslash CLNS Radio. John, I'm, I really I miss the draft show. 
And I, I know tell. we took this long break, <laughs> but listening to seven hours of, I mean, nine years ago, nine years ago, the face of this franchise changed, and we saw a championship, banner number 17, come in 12 months later. And actually, the anniversary of that was just on Friday, uh, 6 17, and you know my affinity for 17. But I'm really, really excited to do draft show, and the Celtics have so much involvement in this one. It's not going to be boring. This one's going to be active, no matter how you slice oh, it. Oh yeah, no question about it. It's going to be, you know, even if okay. So you know, let's lay this out. I mean, you start from. I mean, usually as a Celtics fan, especially during the when when KG and Paul and Ray were at their their height and Rondo, you'd have to start the draft, and there were always rumors that they'd be trading for this or that and the other. But you were going to be waiting two hours before the Celtics' name was really even in the conversation. That's not the case now. <laughs> you know, third, 16, 23, 31, 35, 45. I mean, it, <laughs> all night long, okay, this is going to be a, a thing. And, and, and I think that even if there's a trade, even if – and, and I don't think you're going to hear about a trade. If Let's say you go into this. I don't think we're going to hear about a thing until the Celtics pick comes up because I think there's a, one, and there's a chance Ingram does slide. I don't think it's a big chance, but I think there is a chance. You never can be too sure what the Lakers will do. And then, and then at that point, the Celtics are going to make their pick or they'll trade it there or shortly thereafter. And then guess what? It's not long and you're at 16. And then it's not long after that you're 23. And, you know, so we're going to be. It's going to be a lot of analysis. It's going to be quick hitting. It's going to be. We're going to have a lot of our friends, uh, and 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 folks who you all, uh, as our as listeners to us and probably all the other podcasts and 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 uh, and outlets out there. All the folks you've heard here. A lot of the folks you hear on our show, on other shows, uh, here on CLNS Radio. We're all going to be in this talking together. We're going to hear from us. Um, and hopefully we're going to be, make some good sort of sense. And I think it also be interesting, as you said, going back, taking a look back nine years ago, um, how off or how, how, how incorrect or how correct we were. Dude, you were so things. disappointed. You're going to be excited to listen to this because you, <laughs> as the night went on, you got more and more negative was. about the Ray Allen trade. It was yeah. hilarious to listen yeah. to. Hey, listen, before we go to Kevin O'Connor, we have to, I mean, the finals ended last night. Yeah. And a really interesting turn of events. Obviously, Cleveland, the first team to ever come back from a 3-1 deficit. Ironically, Golden State had just done that exact same thing against OKC, which ties in to the endless Kevin Durant conversation that we've been having. And I just think uh, I have to give a quick take on this. I know Kevin Love seemed to maybe have uh, redeemed himself a little bit in Game 7. But he does uh, he he does show some of his limitations, especially obviously defensively. But Cleveland walks away. The Draymond Green suspension, followed by injuries that hampered Golden State. And I will say, I don't think Steph Curry played well at all in this series. I mean, he really did struggle. I think LeBron had his number last night. He was getting in his head. Um, they got in a little bit of a, a tangle up. And uh, you could just see LeBron had his mindset that he was going to take it home. I don't want to say that it was rigged. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not even going to say, you know, that it was um, you, that there was any intent there. I will say though that it was influenced by that suspension. That suspension was key in how this series turned out, in my opinion. 
And 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 to Cleveland's credit, they got the job done. Even Kyrie Irving, who was getting blasted all postseason, hit a huge three pointer last night to help Cleveland take it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah no, I, and I I think you're right. I think it's 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 important to say that going back to Draymond point, uh, I think that's. I don't think it's the reason why they lost. I don't think that that was what did it. But I do think that it threw things off enough in Game 5 that it provided just that little bit of opportunity for LeBron James to walk right through. You know, I think I think that's really what it did. Uh, it's like an asterisk, right? I mean, I know we'll, that 73-9 and nine season will have an asterisk on it. It'll always be they didn't take home the championship that season. Yeah. We know what that feels like in New England, sure you know, from a different sport. Yep. But at the same time, I also think that Cleveland's first championship will have an asterisk on it because I think that suspension is always going to have uh, a certain cloud of controversy around it that is undeniable because even though Golden State wasn't playing their best, they were they had this series in hand well in hand yeah. and and that was a major major turning point yeah i mean i the only i mean if the only thing i'd say though is if that was more of a, a game 6 to game 7 scenario you know if it happened in game 6 and then they won won a game okay you know i could, but to that's win, exactly why you can't take exactly. anything away from cleveland it's agreed a, it's a very small asterisk right <laughs> it's it's a small one because but it will always be there it'll always be yeah. there. people will always talk about for that for golden state fans and that's certainly something that they're going to they're going to hold on to and i just you know the problem is is to do anything other than appreciate you're right but to do anything other than to appreciate what that guy just did um it does take away from it and it, it that seems unfair because just look Everyone who's listened to the show, <laughs> and as and we've all, you know, you all know that we're not huge fans of LeBron James. We've we've been through the wars with the guy. Uh, not a lot of you know love for LeBron James in this corner, but I mean, you have to step back and tip your tap, tip your cap to the guy. I mean, <laughs> you do. I mean, no, it's he, undeniable. I mean, there's the crap. whole what Paul Pierce spitting thing. There's bad He's, blood. That, and he he oh. led the led this whole series in numerous categories, every major category, blocks exactly, every single major category. That's insane. So yeah, you, you have to say that he belongs in the conversation with the best. We've always said that. We have his combination of size and athleticism yep. is unprecedented. And you have you listen. Do I like him? No. Do I want to take away from it? Yeah. After a few beers, <laughs> after a few beers last night, was I sour? Oh yeah, you're right. I was. I definitely didn't want them to win, but you have to you have to tip your cap to greatness the way you said. And and even to add one other thing, I'm going to spin this, and then we're gonna we're gonna go to the to the interview with Kevin O'Connor. But there was a couple of tweets that went out this morning, and one of the things they were saying was, well, wait a second, there goes the whole argument about Durant or any major player coming east for an easier path to the finals. I don't, I don't think that taints that at all. As a matter of fact, I think it makes it even more attractive to go to the east because the path is easier, which means less likely to, to have the injuries, less likely to take a beating in the postseason. And, yes, you will have to get by Cleveland, and they are champions now, so I'm not saying it's easy, easy, but it is still the easier path. And we also know that being in the east doesn't mean you can't win the championship. I almost want to go counter and say that it gives – 
anybody coming to the to the Eastern Conference even more um, you know more of a reason to want to come because I think it's it's proven that you can win a championship coming out of the Eastern Conference and if you get by Cleveland you're a proven team. Mm-hmm. That deserves an opportunity at the championship, and you ought to get it. So I'll I'll close on that. We've got to go to Kevin O'Connor. One thing I have to get to before we do that is just to announce a new sponsor relationship that I think our fan base is really going to enjoy. Part of the reason is because we're giving away a free month subscription each week to our listeners. I think that's huge. So our sponsor is Fan Essentials. And I guess, how would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Talk about a perfect match with Celtic Stuff Live. So you just check out fanessentials.net. You pick your favorite sports team. Every month you get gear shipped right to your door. They find sports gear so that you don't have to, and each fan box comes fully packed with really some amazing gear. It's a great gift idea for any sports fan. I know we just had Father's Day. Too bad we didn't get this relationship set up two weeks ago, right, John? Yeah. <laughs> but prices start at just thirty four ninety nine. You really, again, I can't stress enough, you can support Celtic Stuff Live and save 30% on your first month. Even if you're not one of our winners each week, you can save 30% on the first month of your subscription by using the promo code CSL2016 when you get to checkout. So go to fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need and to be a winner with Celtic Stuff Live and get one free month. All you've got to do is retweet our show announcement. And this week there's a lot of opportunities because not only this show, but also the Part 3 the three-part series uh, from the 2007 draft. So any of our shows that goes out, you retweet it, and you just have to do hashtag fan essentials. And then we'll announce the winner each week on the, very, on the following week's show. So thank you very much. And now Kevin O'Connor. All right, welcome everyone to another edition of Celtic Stuff Live. John Duke here. I'm very uh, excited to have this just before the draft edition of Celtic Stuff Live, be joined by Kevin O'Connor of every outlet known to man on the internet, but uh, really just has come into his own with the best, and I mean the, the definitive guide to the NBA draft this year. Um, I've been lucky enough to to been a subscriber, and what's great about what, you, what you've done, before we even get into the picks uh, and, and, and the different players available, Kevin, I just wanted to say, I mean, I think for all of us as fans, really appreciative, not just about the fact that you come up with a draft guide and say, this is what we know about the guys, but the fact that you update it as you get more information. I just um, really appreciative of that and, and just wondered how that genesis of that process started and, and it can let everyone know how to get a handle on your guide. Thanks, John. Oh, that means a lot. So, yeah, I mean, just three years ago, I, st- I decided to do a draft guide because I figured, why not? put all my thoughts into something. Um, and, and that, that year it was like, people could get downloaded for free. And it was like, surprisingly people wanted it. I was like, Oh, I, I been like last year, I kind of stepped it up, gave it a really, I think beautiful design by hiring a designer, Brad Fishkin, shout out to him. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's done well. I'm very happy that people enjoy reading it. Um, yeah. So it's always important to go back and reevaluate, like you said, updating it and stuff. Because there's always new information that comes out, especially this time of year. Like the Denzel Valentine, unfortunately, the basketball insiders report that he has bad knees. Yeah, that's a real bummer. I think a lot of a lot of mm-hmm. Celtics fans were looking to him as the, and I was looking at him as the 
the, the man in waiting to replace Evan Turner, but someone who could make a three pointer. Uh, so that was that's definitely a, a bummer. But but it's it's great to to you always have to readjust. I think as you're going through the draft process, uh, I watched a little bit of college ball, probably not as much as someone like you who has to put a guy like this together. But you know, it's a lot of fun. The draft is probably my favorite time of the year. Uh, it's it's basketball Christmas for me. Some people like opening night. To me, the draft is where it is because it's it's the time when teams are making that first step towards whatever they're going to be. And I think with the Celtics and this being Celtics stuff live, of course, and you being a local guy, you know, this is there has probably never been a bigger draft than the 2016 draft to this point, just because of all the picks, all the possibilities, the trades, the players available, uh, a lot of opportunities for the Celtics on draft night. Um, let's get into some of what we've got right now, maybe what the latest that we know. Um, the big name right now is, as this is going to go live here on Sunday, is, I should say the latest reports right now about Jalen Brown. And, you know, you've got Jalen Brown in your tier one. Uh, Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons, Dragon Bender, Chris Dunn, and Jalen Brown in that, that five, that five for tier one. Is there a big gap for you between tier one and tier two? And a lot of people mentioning Jamal Murray's name. He's somebody you have in that second tier. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a little bit of a gap. I, I don't know if it's significant. Maybe I don't know if it's quite as significant for Buddy Heald. I think after him, it is for me. Um, but with Jalen Brown, I think I think it's very intriguing that they're bringing him back because I I thought ahead of time that he would be the guy on Thursday. So the fact they're bringing him back maybe is a sign that either they're already leaning towards him and they want confirmation. Or they might be leaning on another way, and they might want to kind of rethink things. Because Austin Ames did say yesterday after their workout that they've kind of narrowed down the list of three or four guys. So maybe Brown's on that list, or maybe they want to find out if he is on that list. Yeah, Brown to me. I mean, and I, I we Justin and I spent a lot of time talking about. Jalen Brown, this is Justin's guy. I really loves Brown. Obviously, the athleticism, the size, the bot. I mean, he's. If you took a picture of what an NBA draft prospect should look like, he's he's certainly a, a good size of that. My issue with him, and, and well, I should say one thing you brought up obviously was his shot selection and and decision making, and really the things between his ears. For a guy who's who's so bright, that's an issue. One thing that came up on our discussion, though, and I'm just curious about all your thoughts about Jalen Brown, but also. When you you when I, one of the things I love about your draft guide is the shot zones, and basically the whole right side of of the board <laughs> of the court, it looks like uh, you know it's just covered in red. And and for those who haven't yet seen it, that's not a good thing. Why is he so out of balance as a, as a player? I don't know. It is interesting. I think I think the reasonings can be different for each player. Partially. To be honest, I think part of that is kind of more of a small sample size, I think. So maybe it's the fact that Cal used him more on the left side and knowing that he wasn't good on the right side, or it was the fact that we just have a really, really small sample size for that end, uh, that side of the court. I wouldn't read into it that much just because of how I mean, short the college season is, only about 30 games. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, generally, his efficiency as a player is a little bit concerning anyway because you – you want him to become a guy who can score an efficient level like any player. But right now, he shot, shot threes of only 29%. Um, granted, on the left side of the court, it's around 
36 37% compared to like the right side of the court around 25%. So every guy has areas of the court that they shoot better. Like Jay Crowder, for example, he's, he's best from the right wing shooting threes. And I think the Celtics did a good job of trying to get him in that spot last season. So maybe if they got Jalen Brown, they'd try to integrate him more into the left side of the court, assuming that the data does hold up and that he is better from that side. As a as a basketball coach of third and fourth grade boys that I, I you know my son's team, I mean basically this is what we try to tell them in terms of shading your man to the strong side or your weak hand. <laughs> this is like I look at Jalen Brown's shot chart and I'm like, see boys, see this is what happens. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean it's just like you know so perfect. But I think that's that's good to know because it, you know you look at him as a draft prospect. Looks like there's a lot of opportunity there, but. You know, certainly the body and all. I mean, athleticism. I mean, he's got a lot of there's a there's a, a, a raw lump of clay there that you think Brad Stevens could do some work with. What is generally your thoughts about the idea of? And I saw this a lot on Twitter on Saturday. People discussing it about you know not having a shot, and and that's something really you work on at the pro level as opposed to you know really having a chance to fix those things in the college and, and high school levels. How successful generally is that sort of idea? You certainly spent a long time talking about Ben Simmons and you know his left versus right. Um, is that something that people maybe should should worry about less? Is there a correlation? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think it varies player to player. For Jalen Brown, I've kind of reevaluated that over and over because that, that's that's really important, right? For be able to hit a three in today's NBA as a wing, right? Or a forward. I mean, he can kind of play both spots. Well, Jalen Brown, I think his footwork is really the only issue. And I think his upper body release is fine. I think he has good touch, good, great natural touch. So a couple of years ago, well, let's look back at Michael Carter-Williams. The, the story with, with him was like, okay, all he needs to do is improve his jump shot. But I thought Carter-Williams had terrible touch. And he still does. He doesn't have good touch of the rim. He doesn't have good touch on floaters. And he doesn't have good touch from the free throw line or sh- shooting a jump shot. But Jalen Brown does have good touch. I think the issue with him is really just his shot selection and his footwork. So if he makes slight revisions to his footwork, maybe it'll loosen up tension in his shoulders, lead to more success. And if he masters his footwork, I think he could become a really good shooter down the line. And we have we can't forget Last season at Cal, he shot 29%, 65% from the free throw line. But in the years prior at the high school level and in like all-star events, he shot 39% for three. So the ability is there for him to drain threes, despite the fact he doesn't have good footwork. So what happens when this guy with a reported hard, high work ethic starts working on his craft? Maybe he becomes a great shooter someday. Maybe he reaches a threshold of maybe 34 35%. And if he does, I think that's passable considering the other things he brings. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, if someone has it, – it, it's almost like a Jay, like Jay Crowder is a great sort of uh, comparison in, in part, not just, as a, not just really as a player so much, but just the ability to, to add those things to his game and, and do other things well, defend and do those things, but, but be able to add that later on. Um, looking at – Part of the issue, of course, I think what a lot of people have with Brown is, is which we talk about was the shot, but it also goes back to this best player available. Um, that something that Danny has really kind of focused on is take the best player available, best player available. 
The problem is then you end up with 18 guards who can't shoot. Um, and, and the feeling is right now in this roster, it's a bit overloaded, obviously, without players who can who can spread the floor and open things up. That's obviously the appeal of a guy like Jamal Murray or, or Buddy Heald. I know you had mentioned Murray. Uh, I think you had mentioned some concerns about his athleticism um, and, and speed and, and being able to, to do those things that I guess more people would be uh, – the people would be uh, – expecting is Murray you have him eighth on your board would it be a complete shock to you or that that the Celtics might take him third or maybe that's a trade down situation what what, where do you think they fall apart on Murray I mean I wouldn't be stunned if they took Murray number three because I see the appeal but at the same time, I kind of would be just because of how much they value perimeter defense. And Jamal Murray just is not a good defender. I mean, he's active and he plays with energy, but that kid's feet move like they're in sludge on, on, when he slides on defense. And that's, that's something that can improve. But here's the thing. Even if Murray becomes an average defender, I don't know if his offense is good enough compensate for that because now he's obviously a knockdown shooter but he did have trouble last season against some NBA level defenders because of how slow he is running through screens or sometimes you know pulling up off the dribble because he's not I don't think he's going to be a guy that does that necessarily in in today's NBA so he's more of kind of a spot up guy and off screen threat to me I don't know if he's going to be a guy that's great on the offensive end of the floor to really make up for his average level at best defense. So with Murray, I just, for me, I just don't have as much faith in his offense as I think other people do, even though I think he'll be good enough to be a contributor on that end. One thing I had read, and I don't know if you had seen this, but but about Scalabissier, and and I kind of compare the two, obviously both having been at Kentucky, highly touted coming in, that Scal entering the draft process was actually the, the same weight or something similar to where he when he entered it in the pre you know before the start of the Kentucky season, and I wonder is there something to the fact that maybe Kentucky's they're all working on skill and they're not working on you know the body at all. I mean, it seems odd that both of those guys would really not take any sort of step. I, mean, I can't say I saw Murray before this year, but it seems as though athleticism for him, Scalabissier for him, probably size and bulking up. Neither one really made great strides uh, from from entering the draft or entering their college season to now. Any any sort of sense of that? Have you heard anything like that? No, I, I'm not sure exactly. I think with with Scal, it was just mostly a confidence thing. He had coached Cal screaming in his ear anytime he made a mistake, and he was pulled off the floor anytime he made a mistake, and he was never able to develop a rhythm. And maybe it's the fact that. Scal was just overrated going into this whole process, and I think I overrated him. I think everybody overrated him, because you're right. He was in the same conversation as Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram. He was considered a top-five guy for sure. And now maybe he's a fringe lottery candidate. I think he'll still go in that area. But with him, uh, man, I don't know. You talk about having to commit resources towards development. I don't know if I want to commit four years to Scal his entire rookie contract to maybe get him ready when there's, I think, some pretty good players in the middle of the first round towards the end of the first round because he is such a risk. Even though the risk is minimized at that point of a draft, 
just a lot, a lot of solid players that I'd rather have, I think, because I've kind of soured on him more and more as we've gone through this process. That's that's never good. <laughs> that's never a good thing. Uh, well, let's and let's go there then. I mean, we've we've talked a bit about some of the, and I think a lot of the guys at the top have been talked about quite a bit. Let's get into the middle round, the middle of the first round. Obviously, the 16th pick, 23rd pick, things that could be moved. Um, but who are some guys there? Maybe specifically for the Celtics that you think. Um, I mean, obviously you have your mock, and and you've you've you know kind of done. Uh, Chris Stein, you know you you have on Oahu at this point at the as your grade A mock. Although I got to be honest, I'm 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 more hopeful that the Tankathon.com's uh, pick of of Sabonis <laughs> holds true. But I think, as you said, I think he's going to go too early to be available at 16. Um, who who do you like there? Is Onowaku is he the guy, or other others um, that that maybe you like for the Celtics, kind of in that middle of first round area? Yeah, besides Onowaku, I think a couple of other guys that I like are obviously Sabonis. That guy plays his ass off. I mean, he plays so hard. He's not going to be a great defender. He's not going to be a guy who I think is necessarily a go-to scorer. But that kid can play, and I think. He'd be a really good contributor on the Celtics. He's like the kind of the anti-Kelly Olynyk in that sense. <laughs> that a lot of things people don't like about Kelly, he brings all of the things that you wish Kelly Olynyk had. Um, another guy is Timothy Luwau. He's a French wing. I think he's probably one of the more overlooked players in this draft. A lot of people, and I think Chad Fuller has him ranked in the 30s, which blows my mind. Uh, I think BX has him in the mid-teens, like I do. I, I have him number nine. I think he would be a great value pick for the Celtics with the 16th pick if they keep it, just considering the fact that that kid can play so many different roles for you. He can be, I think, a 3 and D role player wing, or maybe if his handle improves, he can be a little bit more than you expect as a scorer. And he has shown, shown signs of it this uh, past season. So you look at him, if he improves his scoring efficiency, he can be a guy that's a role player at the worst, or maybe something a little bit better than you expect. Nice. It now he's and he he's a draft and stash candidate, correct? Yeah, uh, maybe. I, I think he could do either or. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, that's and that's obviously as we know with all these picks, there's a lot to that. And as as you said, and, and probably for anyone who's listening to the show, they're probably tired of me talking about Sabonis. Uh, he's almost a guy I think <laughs> you consider trading up for. You've got a lot of you've got a lot of uh, picks and ability. Maybe you go into the maybe you go from sixty into the low lottery. Maybe not four draft picks to do it, but you know if you can get up to twelve. Uh, there were some reports. I think Steve Kyler's suggesting that the Raptors may be looking at him at nine. That probably is too high, you know, to give up a lot of assets to get to nine. But if you could get to twelve, eleven, you know, maybe the Suns at fourteen. Um, not sure what they're looking for, but I would love to move up from sixteen to make sure you get him. Um, one maybe going a little bit further back. Um, one guy, you know, there's there's a lot of the draft. You've now <laughs> there's a lot of these bigs that are available kind of late in the draft. Um, there's uh, Zizic, uh, Zubac. Oh, there's a lot of guys um, available there. Um, you've got is it is it Juki? How how do you say that? <laughs> the Chinese guy that you jo- have grade Jochi Jochi. <laughs> We spent about about eight weeks mispronouncing Yi Jin Lian's name on the show, so we're just trying to continue that tradition here. Um, <laughs> is is how how interchangeable are the those? I mean, obviously you're bringing different skills to the table, but 
what what is it that that the Celtics? I mean, you liked him because he's kind of like he's, he's like seven one, right? And but he's but he spreads the floor. He's kind of a pick and pop, you know, pick and pop. Uh, but he's he is he really raw? I mean, how much do we really know about uh, about uh, Chi? Yeah, so he's obviously long. That's the first thing people will see. Seven foot two with a seven eight wingspan, but he's thin like a string bean, right? He's only around two hundred two hundred ten pounds, so he obviously needs to pack on a lot more weight. And even if he does, he's not going to be a guy who's like Dwight Howard muscular. So he's not going to be someone who bodies opponents, but he can space the floor as a shooter, and as a seven footer, that's obviously important in today's NBA. And he can protect the rim a little bit. So there's not a lot of guys in today's NBA who can both shoot threes and protect the rim. So granted, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's a great NBA player. I think the potential for is the potential is there for him to be a good high end role player. Mm-hmm. That, and there seems like there's a lot of guys in that. 15 to like mid of the second round area where you can find rotation players potentially uh, for your team. I mean, just, and I'm, I'm not, I certainly haven't spent as much time looking at this as you, but you know, I, you know, I go back, I mean, you, you go all the way back to, you know, the 30th pick. I mean, Malik Beasley or, and Gary Payton, number, you know, the second and bright, all these guys, Valentine, um, it's endless about the number of players who you could find late in this draft. I'm not saying the 16th pick is going to be as good as, you know, 35, but the Celtics have a number of swings here to add rotation players to their roster, it seems. Um, who's somebody, as, as you know, before we uh, wrap up, who's somebody maybe that, that, or maybe a couple guys, that you look at who might be a bit of a surprise, maybe somebody who could really make a good impact here for the Celtics here, um, maybe later on in the draft with so many picks on the, on the table. Someone in year one making an impact or someone just, you know, overall over the career. Yeah. I mean, who, who are some, some, maybe some good picks, people, names people should be looking for as they're staying up late on Thursday night. I think Denzel Valentine, if he slips, I had him ranked six before the, Injury, the risk of injury was announced by the D-Ball Insiders report that he has knees like Danny Granger or Brandon Roy. So he could have a short life in the NBA. But, man, if, if the Celtics were able to get him at 35 or 45 or even, even at 23 for that matter, he's a guy who I think can play right away and be a contributor. He can drain threes. He's a spectacular passer. I mean, he's ready to come in and play. And I think he's someone that can help the Celtics in year one and maybe be a playoff contributor, despite the fact that he still doesn't make strides on defense. I don't think he's a liability on that end. Another guy maybe kind of a big that's rising for me a little bit late is Ben Bentil from Providence. He brings a lot of things that you like in today's NBA. One of my buddies, Eric Weiss over at Sports Attitude, likes to compare him to Brandon Bass with a three, and that type of player is very, very important in today's NBA. If you're Bass and you can also shoot threes, I think that comparison makes a lot of sense because he's coming into the NBA not as a great defender, but he obviously has the body to do it. And like Bass, who used to be called no-pass Bass, he's coming in (laughs) as a guy with not much passing vision. So he, he makes a lot of mental mistakes, but I think the ability is, is there for him. Maybe at forty-five, he might go higher than that, though. 
Yeah. And one other guy, another local kid, Wayne Feldon. I had a good conversation about Feldon recently, and, you know, I, I have him ranked in the 50s. But is everybody so low on him? Because the consensus is that he's a borderline undrafted guy. Are we all so low on him because expectations were so high coming into college? He was ranked as a top 10 player. Everybody expected him to be a one-and-done. And he's leaving school as a guy with a great NBA body, good NBA athleticism, a guy who can drain threes, a guy who can play on defense, but he doesn't do a lot else. But that those are the ingredients you need in today's NBA to be a good role player. So I think he's a guy later in the draft, maybe the Celtics just throw a pick at him because he could turn out to be a contributor. It seems like he's one of those guys, you know, Selden. And it seems like there's a long run of these guys who go to uh, go to Kansas. They've got a high, you know, a lot of people think highly of him. Cliff Alexander, different story in terms of how it played out over their careers. But they go there. Everyone thinks they're going to do well. Self doesn't get anything out of them for whatever reason. Buries them or whatever. You know, different things happen to these guys that go there and. You know, sometimes they work out. You know, I, I, I wonder, you know, I think you're right. You, you do, it, you know, somebody said, you know, if uh, Marquise Chris went to Duke or, or Kentucky, would he be, you know, a top, you know, three pick? I, I think that stuff works against players sometimes that go there. I think in Brandon Ingram's case, it worked for him. But a lot of times you'll see, and, and you, like I, are, are big fans of Brandon Ingram, uh, <laughs> which obviously is the prerequisite for having you on the show, was that you agree with me <laughs> on Ingram. Um, but in all seriousness, I mean, this is, you see these guys, and of course being a Duke fan, so I'm, 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 wearing, I'm wearing my Duke shorts right now, in fact. But at the, the fact that you go there, that can be a blessing and a curse. And in some parts, yeah. I, mean, I think Scalabissier is, is a great example of that, of highly thought of, and maybe if he's, you know, on ES, on the Ocho, perhaps, you may not have seen as much of him to say, oh, my God, that guy can't play at all. He's, he's terrible, or, you know, he has no confidence, no feel. Maybe you wouldn't do that if, if you hadn't seen him on every week on major, you know, major networks and, and what, you know, in Kentucky draws the eyeballs. So it, I think it does work against them. I mean, and perhaps the stock, these guys' relative draft stock takes a hit as a result. I think that, I mean, even granted, Jalen Brown could go number three to the Celtics that high. Even with him, even with him at Cal, they played with two bigs just a slow-tempoed offense. Didn't really get out in transition as much as he would like to see a guy like Jalen Brown get out in transition. Even for him, a guy who's still a top-five pick, maybe if he had gone to Duke and played the Justice Winslow role, and I know Justice Winslow fell to number 10 or 11 last year, but he never should have. <laughs> right. um, maybe if he went there, we'd be looking at Jalen Brown a whole lot differently than we do. Maybe his efficiency wouldn't be quite as poor as as it was, maybe the consensus would be looking at this draft, not as a two-player draft, but as a three-player draft. And I don't think it is just a two-player draft, but Brown, I mean, it's all about situation. With Brown, he didn't have the opportunity to score an efficient level at Cal, and he didn't. But maybe in a different situation, he would have. And I think, you know, any team, the Celtics, any team drafting in that area, the Timberwolves, they have to look at that and think, oh, if we put him in our space with our spacing on the floor, maybe he suddenly skyrockets up a little bit in efficiency instead of being a guy that has a, an effective field goal percentage of under 50. 
And I think, as you said, I think, I think that, and I think you know, putting them in the right position is you know to succeed is great. Not telling a kid to just go stand in the corner and start jacking threes, the Kedrick Brown method, basically, that which is what Jim O'Brien did to him, and and he never was able to to you know go from there, um, which is really a shame because you know there was obviously he's another guy with all the ability and the NBA body and all of that, but wasn't able to turn that into an NBA career. Um, well, in terms of you've got Bender. This is the last thing for me, I promise. I said one more, but Bender, Brown, Dunn, Murray. Do you think that's the Celtics 3-4? They, they said that there's three or four players that Austin Ainge was saying. Do you think that's the four? Bender, Brown? Yeah, I'd say that sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah. Bender, Dunn, Brown, maybe around those guys. Yeah, I'd say those are the main three in my opinion. Um but obviously there could be a surprise like Chris Heald or Murray. Uh, but I'd say those three are probably the, the main ones. Yeah. No. I'm I'm hopeful. I, I, I though like you, I love the draft and I love this ability to develop players. I honestly hope there's a trade uh, because I think it's probably the best for the team at this point. But um, hey, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and what draft night are you going to be on a on a network somewhere? Or are you going to be uh, what, what's uh, what are your plans for draft night? I think I'm going to be at TD Garden doing a writing shift for CSN, CSNNE.com. I'm not sure if I'll have like any radio or TV things or whatever, but uh, I'm definitely going to be doing some quick articles for CSNNE.com, reaction to the pick, and whatever Danny Ainge wants to talk about in his press conference, or maybe there'll be a trade, and it'll be fun seeing the uh, the building of season ticket holders explode in excitement <laughs> with whoever it may be coming in. Yeah, I think the only the only one that you may not see explode with excitement would be if they do Kevin Love because I think there's a lot of people. Oh yeah, I I'm yeah. not not against the Kevin Love idea, but I think that there's a I think that that would not be a, a very popular move at the moment. So we'll this see. Booing, <laughs> booing, be booing. If that happens. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, yeah. I think that's... imagine that coming out with a guy that's won, uh, been to a couple All Star games. Yeah. and you know you're booing it. <laughs> it's but really... I. I, I I might be booing it too. I think everybody might be. All the media members. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Either way, there's still. I mean, there's no way they're going to trade eight picks. So there will be picks. There probably will be a couple first rounders. Maybe, maybe. Who knows? But I think it's going to be a busy night. We're going to be on on CLNS radio uh, doing our live draft show. But uh, we'll be. I'm sure we'll be watching for you, Kevin, and and really appreciate all your work you've put in through this draft season. And uh, look forward to uh, having you on again real soon. Thanks so much for having me today. Thanks. He's chicken, chicken, chicken. Kevin O'Connor from SB Nation just doing an amazing job. And also Comcast Sportsnet, as he told us, he will be providing coverage on draft night for CSNNE. And I thought some interesting things in the interview, John, but it really, it's funny the prospects that, that you chose to talk about because really there's no greater um, – uh, I guess, contrast than Murray and Brown, right? Because Murray is the, hey, he's not really that athletic and he's not a defender, but he's a lights-out shooter. And then Brown can't shoot the ball, but NBA body, super athletic. It was just a nice contrast to look at those two prospects. I know we looked at a few more, and you know, Kevin obviously shares our love for um, Sabonis. So we're hoping that and he has him at nine, but we're hoping that the Celtics call Sabonis' name on draft night for sure. Yeah, truly. And 
you know, there's some reports uh, that came out yesterday that you know Utah is looking to trade back. In fact, they apparently they haven't even worked out anybody who's apparently going to be available in their range. It looks like, or, or I should say, will be available, but shouldn't be picked in their range. So it makes you wonder: is are there deals already in place? Have the Celtics already kind of done a wink and a nod deal with Utah to move up from 16 or, or maybe 23 up to 12? I mean, certainly they have the assets to do so. Um, can we talk Gordon Hayward? I mean, can I have an opportunity to talk <laughs> oh Gordon God. Hayward? I mean, I love him almost as much as I love Jalen Brown. You really do. <laughs> Between those two, it's a love fest. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, well, I, mean, I don't know how it works, but maybe, yeah, maybe there is. Maybe that's the path. Maybe it's already done. I, I don't know. I, um, it, it, you know, look, he's on an expiring deal, so the, the, the cost of of getting him couldn't be that high. Um, and maybe you know they're already trying to configure themselves for the next run. That's more, you know, with obviously favors and and Bo and. Um, Gobert and and you know, but then you know, giving themselves some room for Dante Exum and and Hood to kind of take forward. I don't know. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. I just you know, I'm looking at this right now. Like you said, Sabonis. I'm thinking they're going to have to move up, and I think 12 would probably be a, a good step. But there's as I as we were talking about with Kevin, there's a good chance that that he goes to, apparently to Toronto at nine. There's That's how high some of the rumors have, have taken his stock. So, you know, I, I'm not saying I'd be happy if we take a really per- terrible player with a third pick, Jalen Brown. And <laughs> uh, I will tell you this, yeah. though. We've talked about it. If Sabonis goes up, maybe a guy like Labissier, who was somebody else that Kevin O'Connor and you discussed, might be one that falls if the Celtics were to move up. I don't think Labissier falls to 16, but if the Celtics were to package picks and move up, if they lost out on an opportunity on Sabonis, maybe they gain an opportunity on another player. Uh, right. it, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Certainly consolidating picks and moving up is something that the Celtics should consider. They just they have too many picks and too many young talent unless they really package and get a veteran like a Butler, etc. Right. Yeah, and and that's it. Is you know you, you obviously you don't have room for all these guys, and you want better players. Um, you know, you want a, a higher caliber of player. I think is probably the best way to put it. So, taking some of those assets, combining them, it's fewer swings at, at the baseball. But at the same point, if you feel like Sabonis is a guy who's going to be able to do something for you, and I think he could fit right into this rotation today, and and honestly be one of their best big men. Um, that's how. That's 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 a mix of how highly I value Sabonis, how lowly I value uh, our our own big men right now. So well, the Kelly Olynyk comparison that, that Kevin made was a really solid one. Uh, Kelly is maybe not the the highest effort guy, et cetera, and then you have Sabonis. They they contrast each other. I think it's important to have a nice mix on the team. I think compet- here's where Kelly Olynyk and Jared Sullinger were not a good match. So if Jared you know, goes way of free agency this summer, somebody like Sabonis would probably be a, a better competitor in, you know, that front court that would really benefit the Celtics culturally. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, you know, so if you, if you, if you take, you know, sometimes it just takes one guy, you know, it's a, one guy can really change, kind of change things just between the person's demeanor and what have you. I mean, Draymond Green turned into that guy, uh, obviously much later in the draft. So 
I think that's the guy you look at. You know, the thing with this draft, I think more than anything, is that the Celtics are in a position where they have a good team now. The only way they're going to become a much greater team is if they have higher caliber players, and that's why you know I was looking at Buddy Heald. I was looking at some of these guys that I thought were more solid players. But as I'm getting closer and closer to the draft, and I'm looking at this team, I think I'm leaning more towards higher upside than than ever. And that's, you know, I'm honestly... So is Brown, are you not down on Brown I'm, in that I'm not, you, yeah. I'm not as down on him as I was. Okay. Interesting. Because that's been my stance all along. Swing for the fence. Yeah. Right? If you can't trade the pick, then swing for the fence. Because none of these guys are going to move the needle. Maybe Buddy Heald does just because he fits such a such a missing part of the offense, but he is a senior. And in listening to the 2007 draft show, there's a lot of conversation about Al Thornton. And we had Mike Fine, now retired, on the show, and that was somebody that we were all pretty high on. Now, does Al Thornton and and, and uh, Buddy Heald compare really well? Not really, because Al was – I don't think his game was as developed as Buddy Heald's. But he was a volume shooter. He was very offen- all offense-oriented, and he was a senior, and they were looking for guys that maybe we could draft that would immediately move the needle and bring something to the team. But Al really didn't get very far in this league. He didn't do horrible. He hung on for a little while. But th- those are some, always my concerns with the seniors. And I think Buddy Heald may break the mold on that. But I think more often than not, especially with multiple picks in the first round, why aren't you taking just big swings with all three picks? To your point, going back to 01, three big swings of the bat, one of them was a hit. Just because they didn't keep them doesn't mean that you – so out of the three, if all of them are home run swings, point to the fences, you've got to think with Danny's ability to draft, ought to be able to nail one of those. You'd think so. Yeah, and I I think, you know, speaking of 07, you know, you had – both in Pruitt and in in Big Baby early second round picks, and that helped to bolster what you had there. So you know, really, the yeah, those two guys and you. I mean, Pruitt obviously to a much lesser extent, but but certainly Big Baby, who was a rotation player from the jump. Uh, part of that's necessitated by trading away half your team or most of your team for two guys. But you know, he became a rotation player, and until this past year, he he. Been in the league, so uh, that's that's pretty darn good for a second round pick, regardless of, of when in the second round. So I, I think there's there are really five really good swings at the bat that the Celtics have in this draft going into it. Would you rather have one and <laughs> trade all those picks for Jimmy Butler? Yes, you would. Uh, Boogie Cousins. Yes. All right, hold would. on. Before you go there, I am gonna. I do want to talk about the trade possibility, and I think we can close the show on that. Do have to mention one other sponsor, Loot Crate. They've been solid with us all along. It's a monthly subscription service for geeks, nerds, comic book lovers, and pop culture aficionados. For less than $20 a month, subscribers receive a mystery box containing at least $45 worth of collectibles, figurines, and apparel memorabilia. June's theme is exploring some of the ways that things can go wrong with Dystopia, featuring classics like RoboCop, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and The Matrix, along with some new favorites, Bioshock, Infinite, and Fallout 4. They've got a figure, cool collectibles, and a dystoporific monthly tee. So all you have to do is head over to LootCrate.com backslash CLNS. Enter that CLNS code to save $3 on any new subscription. So again, that code is quote CLNS. John, when we talk about the trades, 
and the trade possibilities here. Again, another throwback to the 07 draft night. We basically moved Delonte West and Wally Zerbiak. And we were very high on Delonte West back then. But Wally and Paul Pierce both really were small forwards, and the roster was imbalanced. When you look at this year, it's almost somewhat similar. Not 100%. I don't want to say that our star players are, are imbalanced quite the same way you know Paul and, and Wally were. But to go and get somebody like Butler would definitely balance the roster out. And I know everybody was not high at the time on trading Al Jefferson for Kevin Garnett, but that became a no-brainer with time. But the Delonte West piece is where, you know, we might look at a player on this roster and overvalue them to some extent. I mean, I know Delonte's struggles have, have really had a lot to do with mental illness and not ability. And he definitely, you know, played alongside LeBron himself, and, and they were pretty good friends. And, and everybody in the Celtics organization liked Delonte. But my point is this. You package a couple of pieces. You get the roster balanced out. You upgrade and consolidate talent. If they make any kind of a trade, I guarantee you over 50% of the Celtics fan base will be unhappy with the trade because they're going to lose a player that they kind of think, oh, that's the young guy that's going to be awesome in the future. And I think some people felt that way about Delonte West at the time of the trade in 07. Yeah, I, mean, I think, again, like you said, I mean, Delonte was a guy who, young player who'd come in, who'd been productive almost off the bat. You know, you know, obviously late 20s pick, just like Tony Allen, seemed to show a lot of promise and a lot of upside. Uh, and, and he was being traded for a guy with bad ankles and, <laughs> you know, and, and really was not seemingly on the same career trajectory as he had shown in an early part of his career in Milwaukee. And so there's a lot of reasons, I think, for, for folks to be, you know, questioning, I guess, of, of what the Celtics, you know, are doing with that sort of deal. But I, I, yeah, I mean, you've got to be careful with making trades like that. And Delonte West, I mean, again, we love the guy here on the show. I mean, he was, we have the quote, why ya hang why ya hang <laughs> So that's, that's in the show as well. There's so many good nuggets. I really hope everybody, I know there's a lot of content coming out and I know three, that's four hours of Celtics stuff, live content coming at you this week. And I know that's, that's hard for people to make time for, but even if you don't listen to all the shows, the three part series leading up to the draft, although I think that is the fun of it. If you don't listen to them, you should listen to them afterwards because of nuggets like that. And um, it really was, it was, it was so fun. John, I know, I know you're going to really get a kick out of it. JB, our original founding co-host, JB is, is all over this episode, which is also entertaining because again, if you've been a long standing listener, Celtic stuff live, you know who JB is and, and maybe you've missed him um, in, in our broadcast, but uh, at the same time, I just so many good nuggets. So even the David Blatt, remember David oh, Blatt, I sure and, do. and and JB and Steve Bullpet, you know, maybe not having a great appreciation for each other around that topic. <laughs> that comes out in the show as well. So there's some really good nuggets oh, in there. Oh man, yeah. No, I I uh, I'm looking forward to it. I will definitely. I, I haven't heard it, folks, myself, so I'm, I'm interested. I've gotten a, some few snippets, so uh, we'll all be enjoying it together here very soon. Um, so going back just before we, before we close on this trade issue, 
What so what is your thought then, Justin? I mean I mean, do you think now we're, we know as much now about these draft picks. I know you're all in on Jalen Brown, but has that changed your opinion at all about making a trade? I mean, are you still no, no, the hundred percent in the in the mold of making a trade. Yeah. There's too many young players. I love Jalen Brown. I think he's going to be you know one of the great picks we never made. I do think the pick gets moved. I think Danny makes a splash. I think he has options. I think one of the things that they're really good at is keeping quiet about trades for the most part. I know things came out at the trade deadline, but I think Danny has spent all of his time since the trade deadline, similar to all the dialogue around Kevin Garnett in 07. I think Danny has laid the foundation. I think there's a lot of different options and I think it, and it could come to pass that none of them come to fruition on draft night. And sometimes the trades can't be announced until the second round. So there, there, there may be uh, a lot of contingencies about players getting picked at certain spots and needing to be, you know, maybe somebody, maybe the team wants Jalen Brown and they want Sabonis. And Danny's got to get them at 3-16 and 16 to consummate the trade. I, I think there could be a lot of conditional scenarios like that on draft night. But ultimately, I think there's probably a 60-40 in favor of Danny trading the pick either right before the draft or during the draft to consolidate some talent. It's just whether or not these teams really want to move on from players like Butler or Gordon Hayward or, you know, um, any of any of the, the sleeper trades that might be out there, like a Blake Griffin, who I still think actually might be a lot more likely of a trade partner. You have to look at where Danny has relationships, right? So Doc Rivers in, in L.A., then you have Philly. You know, I know we talked with Goodman, and I was – you know, pretty open to trading for Noel, and I do think that would bring uh, bring a, a certain skill and talent to the team that that is non-existent right now. But that's where I would look for possible trades. Is where are the relationships similar to the one with Kevin McHale when when the Kevin Garnett trade was made? I'm all in favor. I love Brown. I do think that Brown is going to be a really good player. I also believe that even if Brown doesn't evolve into a great player, if he goes to another organization, that situation is everything in the NBA. And I do think if the Celtics keep that number three pick and the player stays on the roster, Brown's a great selection because I think he does fit in very well with the Celtics' culture, the organization. If there is a concern about a lack of passion for basketball, which has been brought up as a criticism, I think Boston's a perfect place to mitigate that. And I also think that uh, Brad Stevens, if, again, he's too smart for the NBA, I think somebody like Brad Stevens will also mitigate that. So a lot of times it's these players, he's still impressionable. He may have an NBA-ready body. He may be very intellectual, but he's still a 19-year-old. And, you know, those first two, three, four years in the league have all, make all the difference into how a player develops. And, and all, you don't really need to point much further than Gerald Green or even a Robert Swift who comes up in the 07 draft show <laughs> as well to to know that guys who are talented don't always pan out, and it's not because of ability. Uh, there are other factors that come up, and you know, it's an unfortunate reality as any person in their lives matures into a grown man. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think you're right, and, and I think – Brown would be in as good a position as he could be. Again, not going to, talking about a bit about the log jam earlier. I think best player available is great, and taking a guy like Murray or Dunn or Heald 
makes a lot. Make, there's there are reasons to take any of those guys, but at the end of the day, if <laughs> if you take a step back and you're going to have to work your tail off to try to move someone, you know, and there isn't a deal that gets done draft night. I really think it does hurt the team. You know, I really think it puts them in a in a really bad spot. And it, it limits their ability to develop. I mean, I think, honestly, going back to the Joe Johnson, Kedrick Brown issue, I thought part of the issue they, they had is that they had two guys they needed to develop, and they had didn't have time. And they Joe Forte, but let, they ridden him off early. They didn't have enough time to devote to both. And so they ended up having to pick and They choose. also didn't have the D-League relationships. That's true. And this is a big factor. I just still think there's too much young talent. But they can consolidate, and this is what didn't happen in 07. This team can consolidate and still maintain a plethora of youth to be developed in the NBA D-League. And I think the main red clause solves some of the concerns that you're pointing out, which are legit for the era that we're talking about, because there's just only so many minutes. But the game has changed. The relationship with the D-League has advanced by, you know, leaps and bounds. And so now I think that that is an asset that the Celtics can can help diminish the concern that you're talking about to an extent. But ultimately, even guys like James Young have to play against top-tier talent, NBA-level talent to establish themselves, and that's why there's too many young people on this squad. It, you get your start in the NBA D-League, that's fine. But by year four, what's the point of swinging home run on your draft picks? If none of these guys end up making the pro roster by year four, then their contract's up and they're moving on, and another team is benefiting from all your hard work and development. Yeah, I mean, looking at James James Young as, as perhaps a, a, a comparable of that, you know, we're entering years. He could be a cautionary story in five years. He absolutely, I, I think he is right now. Perhaps. I mean, I think maybe a little. It's a little early. I'd probably say more a year from now. But, but we're sitting here with James Young. He's a name who barely has come up at all here in the last, you know, six weeks of us doing these draft shows and talking about what's going to happen. He's only two. He was only drafted two years ago. And he's not even, you know, he's barely able to, I'm not sure he's 21 yet. I was going to say, yeah. he's younger than Buddy Heal. Right, so, you know, we got to, you know, <laughs> that, you know, he's a guy, you know, if, if they could find the right offense where he could fit, I think that the, I think there's a key to unlock him, <laughs> mean, but they haven't been able to do it. What, you mean ones where he doesn't miss shots like Harrison Barnes beyond the arc? Uh, well, I think he's getting this cap. Thing. That was my point about Brown, too. I was like, hey, it's great that he's hitting the threes and the workouts, but against my own, hey, I love the guy, but I'm going to be real here. If it's one thing in workouts to be knocking down threes, it's, it's really all about confidence on the floor yeah. and confidence in big moments, which is why you and I are so high on a player like Marcus Smart and definitely wouldn't package him in number three for either of the two big men that are rumored to be available coming out of Philly. Listen, I, we could go on all night. Uh, or we all day, Thursday. all morning, but we will on Thursday. That's right. It's exactly right. So we got to leave a little bit in the tank because we are starting at seven. We're going to have an hour, hour plus before the first pick is made. We're going to be taking your calls. Uh, Scott Souza from the Metro West Daily News and Sean Grandy have confirmed. We're working on Mike Gorman, hoping to hear back from him, um, and many others from the CLNS Radio Network are going to be joining us. And but again, we really do want to get calls 
from the callers as the night is evolving. So make sure you head on over to the CLNS radio page on Blog Talk Radio to join us uh, or go to clnsradio.com or clns.com and find all the information for the draft night show. I hope you get a chance to enjoy the three-part series looking back at the 2007 draft night show and again featuring a lot of names that you know, Scott and Grandy and Gorman, all of you know those names definitely, but also Eric Weiss, Eric Pincus, I know I'm forgetting a, a bunch of others. Mike Fine, again, he's been retired, but was an excellent beat writer that covered the team. So a lot of great interviews, a lot of good content. If you want to just reminisce a little bit, or maybe you want to look at a little bit of the parallels leading up into the draft, because I'm telling you, there absolutely is many parallels to be drawn between 07 and now the 16 draft night. Um, so that's going to do it for this week, or not this week, it's going to do it for today, but this week is power-packed. Uh, make sure you check out all the content on CLNS Radio. This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app, as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget to follow John and I on Twitter. It's going to be one of the most active weeks on Twitter. I guarantee you the rumors are just getting started. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin, or follow John at CSL underscore Duke. Follow the show at CSL underscore Tweet Live and the entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio. Big thanks to everyone who tuned in this week. You can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Would love to get a rating or a review because we love your feedback. And a reminder that today's show is brought to you by Loot Crate and Fan Essentials. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners. Make sure you retweet the show announcement with uh, hashtag Fan Essentials to enter for a chance to win a free month subscription from Fan Essentials or go to LootCrate.com and use the promo code CLNS to save $33 on your subscription. A big thanks to all of the CLNS radio audience that's so loyal and makes this worthwhile every week. For staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and for my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.